I want to begin by asking you a question. But it's a question that I don't, underline don't, want you to answer out loud. All right? If you heard me say that, say amen. All right. I don't want you to answer out loud. I'm not putting you on the spot. That is not my intention. But I want to ask you a question. And in your own heart, I want you to be honest. Have you ever been in a situation or a circumstance that affects your health, your family, or your finances, relationships, or maybe your job or your business. And it's a situation or circumstance that's very hard, it's very challenging. It's very difficult. It's possibly uncomfortable and painful. Maybe it's a situation where you've lost a job. Maybe it's a situation where you've been diagnosed with some kind of a an illness that you're going to have to live with, it's chronic, or it's an illness that they've said is possibly terminal. Maybe it's a marriage that is hanging on by a thread. Maybe it's a child that is in rebellion. Maybe it's a relationship at the office that just frustrates you and is trying every day you wake up and think I can't take it another day you ever been in a situation or circumstance like that and ask God maybe not loud enough for anybody else to hear but in your heart of hearts you ask God Why me? Why is this happening to me? And to make matters worse, you see somebody else who's not as faithful as you are and doesn't give to the Lord the way that you give and They don't serve Christ with their life and they don't have the problem that you have and we not only say, Lord, why me? But we say, what about that guy? You you never ask that question, right? Happened to me this week. In a kind of silly way, I let a friend borrow a car on 
Wednesday night because he had a car in the shop and they had a big family and had one vehicle, so I let him borrow one of ours because a couple of my kids that drive were out of town and they, they had some, so I said, hey, borrow, borrow one of ours. You know, I'm doing this good deed. Next morning, get up to go out to take my car to work and the tire's flat as a pancake. Lord, here I was trying to help. Why me? Or maybe it's a situation from the other perspective. Maybe it's a situation or circumstance where you're seeing someone else succeed. Someone else is getting blessed, man, in the area of their job. You're in small group and you're about to, it's prayer request time in small group and it's almost your turn, you're next and you're ready to say for my prayer request I'm about to lose my job and the guy right before you says I've got to praise. I just got promoted $20,000 more a year. Maybe somebody else has seen success in their business or somebody else found that special someone. And You ever been in that situation and you ask the question, God, why not me? Hey, Lord, I'm over here. I'm sitting right next to him. Why not me? Why is it happening to this guy? Lord, he hadn't even been to small group in six weeks and shows up, got to praise. I come every week, make the food. We're going to be completely honest. No, I'm at church. I'm doing fine faces. <laughs> if we're going to be completely honest, we'd have to admit that we all wrestle with thoughts like that from time to time. Even the pastor. We all do. It's part of our human nature. While I was away on sabbatical, this is my first time to be able to, to preach in about the last eight weeks. So I'll try to be done before the 9 o'clock service starts. But uh, I was on sabbatical and God began to deal with me about this very issue in my own life. I was in one of those times in my life when I was kind of evaluating things and you know, the last couple of years here in Las Vegas have been tough. That's, that's no surprise to anybody. If you've lived in this town for the last three years, if you've lived here longer than that, then you have the, the, the days of feasting to compare it to, and you know what the last three years have been like in our city. It's been this way across our country, but our city was kind of at the forefront of it. And we've, we've seen a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in a lot of people's lives. And 
Now, as a pastor, when you're in, involved in a church that's in a city that is hurting like our city is hurting, you are exposed to a lot of that hurt, and you don't, you're not immune from it. You feel it. You feel it emotionally. Man, as you see families struggle, and you long to throw some pixie dust on the situ- situation and make it all better, and you, you can't. It's not only been difficult in the lives of our church family, it's been difficult as a church family. Man, we've been portable, we've, we've experienced the loss of several hundred families that lost their jobs and homes and had to leave town, and that had deep effects on us in a lot of ways, in service and in finances and a lot of things. It's been a real challenge, and as I, I travel across the country quite a bit, one of the blessings of, of, of having planted this church is that God's given us a platform, a lot of people. You heard the gentleman last weekend say, how many people have heard your story and your testimony, and I travel and I speak in a lot of places and share the story of what God's doing and talk about planting churches and working among the nations, and seems like a lot of times I'm traveling back to the area where I'm from in that Bible Belt area of the southeastern United States. And, man, I, I, I'm here in the weekend watching us set up and take down. Our teams go through all this. And I go to churches that have two and three and 400,000 square feet of building space. And they have buildings on top of buildings on top of buildings. And I was on sabbatical and I started kind of Calculating all that. Lord, since we started at Hope, we've given four to five million dollars away in missions. Lord, we've sent dozens and dozens of mission teams. We've we've sent hundreds of people out of our church to go plant churches and serve around the world. We've commissioned families. Lord, we've lived with everything we have like this. God, it seems like it's been such a struggle to take next step after next step. And God, those guys in the South got it so easy. One morning, I was kind of there, and I opened my Bible to a passage of Scripture that i got to be honest, I've read it hundreds of times. I've even preached it here. And I saw something I'd never seen before. If you have your Bible, take it, turn to John 21. John 21, it's the closing verses of this incredible gospel. If you're new to hope, the first five years we were in existence as a church, we just went verse by verse straight through the gospel of John. It took us five years to finish it. We went through all 21 chapters, just walked through it. But John chapter 21 is the closing scene of this gospel. Let me set it up for you. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already risen from the dead. He's made appearances to his followers. And we find Simon Peter and some of the disciples decided to just go back fishing. 
and they're fishing all night and they don't catch anything and then they look up on the seashore and they see somebody at the time they don't know it's Jesus it's Jesus on the seashore and Jesus said hey guys won't you cast your net on the other side and see what happens and they throw the net on the other side and they start bringing in this catch that's so big they can't even get the nets in the boat and they realize it's Jesus and Simon Peter just jumps out of the boat and swims to shore and meets Jesus there on the shore and Jesus starts asking him these questions you know do you love me and Simon Peter says oh Lord you know that I love you do you love me well then feed my sheep and then we get down to verse 18 that's where I want to pick up verse 18 Jesus looks at Simon Peter here's what he says truly truly I say to you when you were younger you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish but when you grow old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Here's what happened. Jesus gave Peter a sneak preview of the plan for his life. And it wasn't like Simon Peter thought it was going to play out. It didn't look like what he thought it was supposed to look like. So look what he does in verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Isn't it funny that people today in the contemporary church say the Bible's not relevant? There's not anything more relevant on the front page of the internet that you'll find than what we just read. Here's Simon Peter gets a glimpse into what his life's going to look like. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be some difficult days. And Simon Peter immediately looks around, finds John and says, Jesus, what about him? Why me? What about this guy? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? And it's as if he grabs Simon Peter by both cheeks and pulls his face in close and says, You follow me. I want to give you four things that we learn from the life of Peter. Here's the first one. God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. God has a unique purpose and plan for every one of our lives. Now, when we talk about the purpose and plan that God has for us, There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot we don't know. Jesus here gives Peter a sneak preview. He doesn't give him all the details, but he gives him just a sneak preview of what some of it's going to look like. And in that sneak preview that he gives him, there are a couple of things that we learn that we can be really sure about. Now, there's a lot we don't know about, but there's two things we can be very certain about when it comes to God's purpose and plan for our lives. Here's the first one. It's for his glory. 
You see, God's purpose and plan for your life and mine is for His glory. When Jesus gave this this glimpse into Peter's life, John tells us in verse 19, he was signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. The ultimate purpose for Peter's life was the glory of God. The word glorifies an interesting word. In some ways, it's difficult to even define, but, but it really means to declare or to make known or to reflect or to display. What he's saying here is the life that God had established for Peter and the death that God had established for him would literally make known, it would reveal, it would display the very life of God in a way that was unique to the circumstances and situations of Peter's life. It was for his glory. You see, the bottom line is, I want you to listen to me, the bottom line is, you and I were made for the glory of God. Unfortunately, we live in a man-centered day in Christianity where we like to think and teach and preach that God exists for us. It draws a crowd. We we, want to tell people that God exists for you. And if you're not happy or if you have needs or if you have wants, God exists just to be at your beck and call. And if you'll just have enough faith, God will meet every need that you have. But the truth is ultimately... God didn't make us for ourselves. He made us for His glory. Now, if you don't understand that, you may not see the circumstances just right. But if we understand that God made... There's a... Back in the 1600s, there was... Something that was written that was called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It was written by the Presbyterian Church. And for several generations now, they have used this catechism to teach doctrine to the lives of children. It's a series of questions and answers that started in the 1600s. It's been passed around. A lot of people use it now. Some great truth in it. Question number one in that catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And here's the answer that they give. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Read that answer out loud with me. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now let me show it to you in the Bible, not just in a catechism. Look at it in the Bible. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. This beautiful scripture in Revelation 4. I encourage you to go home and read it sometime. It's, it's, really, it's hard to really wrap your mind around. It describes some creatures and things that, that we don't even see in, in the day in which we live that are in heaven that circle the very throne of God and they're, they're crying out to God all the time, holy, holy, holy. And then the elders are bowing down. And here's what the Bible says they're saying. Worthy. It's a word that means deserving. Deserving are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, 
They existed and were created. That, that little phrase, your will, it literally, in some translations, is translated for your pleasure. For the very pleasure of God, we were made. God is not existing for our pleasure. We exist for the pleasure and the glory and the honor of God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, look at it on the screen. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do, say the next word out loud. All to the glory of God. All. You know what the word all means in Greek? All. It means every activity, every action, every reaction, everything in my life is so that the very life of God may be manifest, made known, revealed, displayed. One more verse, Romans eleven thirty six. I've given it to you in the Amplified Bible. I love the way they... Write this. It says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. For all things originate with him and come from him. All things live through him and all things center in and tend to consummate and to end in him. To him be glory forever. Amen. So be it. You see, I am not the lead role in the story of my life. I am simply part of the supporting cast. The supporting cast in a play, a movie, or a book exists to display or reveal more depth about the main character in the story, book, or play. That's the only reason you have the supporting cast. The supporting cast exists for one reason and one reason only, and that is to give more light and more depth and more insight about the main character in the story. I am not the main character in the story of my life. God is the main character. I am the supporting cast that exists for one reason only, to give more depth and more insight and more revelation about the glory of the main character. God has a unique purpose for every one of our lives and it begins with understanding it is the very glory of God. It's not about me. But, but here's the second thing we know for sure. It's not just for His glory. It's for our good. Isn't that awesome? That God has so sovereignly ordained it that it not only is about His glory, but while being about His glory, it's the very best life possible for me. There's not a better option. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for what? Say it out loud. Good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. 
Here's what I want you to hear me tonight. Here's what I want you to hear me say. We learn it from the life of Simon Peter. God has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. I want you to say that out loud with me. God has a plan for my life. And it's a good plan. Second thing we learn. This unique purpose and plan is experienced as I pursue Him daily. I love the simplicity with which Jesus directs Peter. He lays out this plan. He he gives Peter some insight into what it's going to look like. And then here's what he says, Peter, follow me. There were no classes to go take. There were no degrees to be earned. There were no steps to the process. Paul called it the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. This, this phrase, follow me, was an invitation. The word follow in the Greek text is a word, Spiro Zodiates, the great Greek scholar, said it means to abide in fellowship with him. It refers to a fellowship of life. Jesus was inviting Peter to himself. Not to a system, listen, not to a church, not to a religion, not to a way. No, he was inviting him to himself to live his life out of the overflow of fellowship with God. Let me give you a life application. Look at it on the screen. Everything God desires to do through my life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of what he's doing in my life as I pursue him. Let me tell you what that makes this thing called Christianity. Simple. You see, we in the church in America have done a good job of complicating it with all of our legalistic rules and regulations, but it's real simple. Here it is. Two words. Follow. As we pursue Him, as we abide in fellowship with Him, I don't even have to ask the question, Lord, what's your plan? As I just pursue Him, He accomplishes His plan through my life. I don't have to say, Lord, what's your will? I don't have to be worried about that. I only got to worry about one thing. Follow me. You see, there are many things about the plan I don't understand. But I know the one who does. And he said, just just follow me. You ever been out in the woods and 
got turned around, didn't know which way you were supposed to go, had somebody with you that knew more than you knew, (laughs) and they say, hey, just follow me. That makes your objective pretty simple, right? I don't have to figure anything out. I'm just going to make sure that this person never gets out of my eyesight. Let me give you the third reality. Sometimes God's plan to accomplish His purpose in our lives seems messed up from our perspective. If you've experienced that, say amen. I mean, when Simon Peter heard his, he said, uh, uh, Lord, uh, you got my order mixed up with somebody else's. You brought me the wrong dish. This is not, uh, I don't like that kind of food. Sometimes from our perspective, it appears to be messed up. This can't be the plan. I remember when I was a little boy, and I couldn't remember exactly what kind of craft it was. My wife helped me this week. I, I talked to her, and she said, be sure and give me credit for that. So I'm doing that right here, baby. You're giving you credit. She helped me. I, I just knew my, my mom was doing some kind of sewing. I wasn't sure what it was. But I remember as a little boy, I'd be on the floor, and I'd be playing cars or with a racetrack or something. And my mom was cross-stitching. That's what it's called. And from my perspective on the floor, looking up at my mom sitting in the chair, From the underside of what she was making, it was a mess. I mean, you ladies that cross-stitch, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's just like colors of string going everywhere underneath. Looks horrible. And I would say, Mom, what are you doing? And she would take it and she would turn it over. Oh. What was a mess on one side was a beautiful design with a master plan on the other side. You see, I just had the wrong perspective. Sometimes in our lives, we're seeing the underside of the cross stitch. One of the daily devotionals that I read pretty regularly, try to read it every day, is by a man named Oswald Chambers. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. You can get it in any Christian bookstore, but also at utmost.org, you can get it online for free. It'll the daily devotion, you can go there every day, utmost.org, U-T-M-O-S-T, I see some of you writing it down, .org. It puts the new one up every day. While I was on sabbatical, I was reading Utmost for His Highest, and I came across August 5th. I want to put this little excerpt up on the screen. God called Jesus Christ to what seemed absolute disaster. His life was an absolute failure 
from every standpoint except God's. But what seemed to be failure from man's standpoint was a triumph from God's standpoint. Because God's purpose is never the same as man's purpose. I mean, if you in three years plant the church... And on the big day that you're crucified, nobody from the church shows up. And even after your resurrection, they've gone back to fishing. You're not going to get invited to speak on the conferences on church planting. The disciples saw Friday afternoon as a failure. The disciples had given everything to follow Jesus and they think he's going to restore a military kingdom to the nation of Israel. And on Friday afternoon he's crucified for all the world to see and they all run away scared thinking, man, this is the worst tragedy in human history. Now we look back from our perspective and go, How could you have missed that? I mean, the crucifixion and resurrection is pretty essential to our faith. They were living in the moment of God's greatest triumph. And they missed it. Because they were looking from the wrong perspective. You see, it didn't fit the plan that they had laid out. Some of you are right now living on Friday afternoon. Your situation will look different after Sunday morning. Right now, it may appear to be Messed up. But I know the one who wrote the plan. And he invites you to follow him. Let me give you the last reality. One of the great obstacles to pursuing Him daily is the temptation of comparison. If you got your Bible open, I want you to look at verse 19. Last two words. Say them out loud. Follow me. Now look at the first three words of verse 20. Peter turning around. You see, when we take our eyes off of Him, we lose perspective. 
And we begin to look at the situation that others are in. And that's what the Bible says happened. He, he, Jesus made it real simple. You follow me. And first thing Peter did was, the word turn around is interesting. In the Greek text is often translated convert or conversion. Instead of embracing the opportunity, Peter wanted to do some inventory. And when he did, he saw John. The Bible says he saw him. In verse 21, it says, seeing him. And it's, a, it's not the word that just means he, he just glanced by and saw him. It, it's a word that means to take notice of. Uh, gentlemen, you know the difference in seeing and taking notice, right? When your wife says, do you like what I wore to dinner? It's very important. You didn't just see it, but you took notice, right? Peter took notice of John. And he said, what about him? Where are you living? Are you pressed in to him? Are you taking inventory? Why me, Lord? Listen, hear him tonight. If I want him to remain, listen, if I've got another plan for him, what is that to you? You are not the lead character in the story. You follow me. I want to give you one last life application. And I'm going to tell you this, this truth has the power to set you free. Look at it on the screen. Your identity is found not in the circumstances and situations in your life, but in your relationship to Jesus. And when you begin to find your identity in something other than him, you are on dangerous ground. One last scripture. Paul, Paul understood this. And in Philippians chapter 3, he wrote about it. Philippians chapter 3, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, begin in verse number 11. Listen to what he said. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I want to ask you a question. Have you, have you learned to be content? Or is it why me? Why, why, why not him? 
Paul says, I've learned. Look, look what he says in verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What's the secret? Verse 13. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. You. Stop looking at your situation. Stop looking at your circumstance. Stop comparing it to everybody else's. Hey, you're not the main character in the story. But the main character has a plan. And it's not just about his glory. It's also for your good. It may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. You follow me.